Good morning, everyone. This morning I'll be sharing a message that I call Dare to be Holy. Um, I'm going to start out with a little story here and then we'll get into the word a little bit. Our, our basis of our story will be on Psalms 86, as was read by this morning. This is a faithful martyr, her name was John Bradford, who sometimes finished his letter with these words A most miserable sinner, John Bradford. Following the death of Edward VI in 1553, Mary I ascended to the throne to bring the threat of reprisals against the opponents of Catholicism. In the first month of the new, new monarch's reign, Bradford, who was 45 at the time, was arrested and sent into prison. They sent him to the Tower of London. On, June, or I'm sorry, on 31 January 1555, Bradford was tried, condemned to death to be burned at the stake on July 1st. Bradford was given the special shirt of flame. Never heard of this. It was interesting. It was sewn specifically for the burning, made of the style of a wedding shirt, dressed as a bridegroom for a wedding, undermining the oneness with Christ and the fact that they were willing to die. Never heard of this shirt, but they, evidently it was something they practiced at that time for those folks being burned at the stake. Isn't it odd that enough people were burned at the stake that they made a shirt that they would wear to the stake? He was chained to the stake at Smithfield with a young man named John Leaf. Before the fire was lit, he begged for forgiveness for any wrongs he'd committed. He offered forgiveness to those who had wronged him. He then turned to Leaf and he said, Be of good comfort, brother. For we shall have a merry supper with the Lord this night. I ask, was this man holy? Was Bradford a holy man? He stayed true to the faith. He was a humble man. He asked for forgiveness. He gave forgiveness. He offered comfort even though he was about to suffer death himself. And it was obvious that Bradford was looking forward to seeing the Lord. So I ask, if we were arrested today like Bradford, what evidence could we provide that it would indicate that we are holy? Could you present any evidence in your life that would indicate that you are holy before your death? How does your account stand between your soul and the Lord in regard to holiness? Dare we to be holy? Holy Father, we come before your throne this morning. I seek, Father, that you are message that you put on my heart would be that which would glorify God, that would lift your name, Father, that we would see, we get a picture of holiness, and that we would be reminded what holiness is, Father, and that you would show us that we can be holy at all times, Father, though sometimes we are sinful in nature, but we are holy because of what you've done. So be with us now, I pray. Your Holy Spirit rest upon us now in our time together. In Christ's name. Amen. As I read this psalm in my devotional time, I reflected upon it because initially you look at it, it's a prayer. And it's quite obvious it is a prayer because in verse 1 he says, Bow down your ear. Hear me, O Lord, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. So you see the definition, you see the prayer there. But as I studied this and went through this thing and, and looked at it, and I saw those words, for I am holy. It made me ask myself, am I holy? Do I do those things which bring honor and glory to God in what I do? 
So I would submit to you that this outline that we're going to go through this morning, this scripture, Psalm 86, is an outline for holiness also. And that's the time basis that we're going to spend our time together is based on this scripture being holy. So when David said, I am holy, what did he mean? Biblically, to be holy means to be cut off, to be separate, to be separated, to be set apart from everything else. To say one is holy means that we have been set apart by God's grace for God's purpose. Allegiance is no longer to the kingdom of, this, of your success but of your happiness, or of your happiness, but to the progress of the glory and grace. To be entirely holy to means to be entirely morally pure all the time and in every way possible. There is only one who can do that, and that's the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. They are the only ones that can be completely and entirely holy. Holiness is the essence of God's character. God is holy in every attribute and in every action. He is holy in justice. He is holy in love. He is holy in mercy. He is holy in power. He is holy in sovereignty. He is holy in wisdom. He is holy in anger. He is holy in grace. He is holy in faithfulness. He is holy in compassion. Holiness is heaven the mind and the actions of God. J.I. Packard wrote, Holiness is not a price we pay for salvation, but is rather the road by which we reach it. And sanctification is a process whereby God leads us along that road. Sanctification is the action of setting something or someone apart as holy. You've heard the word, you've heard the phrase Todd's taught about, preached about sanctification many times. It is purifying it and dedicating it to God's service. Sanctification is the process, and holiness is the result. So when David said, I am holy, how was he holy? How was it that David could claim to be holy? Let's look at this guy for a minute. We've been studying about David Oh, last fall we studied about him quite a bit, Jonathan, and the, the by Sunday night Bible study was out. And we're going to pick up David again tonight and through the next few weeks in his life. So I'm using David now as basically a cursor or a, a point of interest regarding holiness and what David wrote here. But if you remember, David deserted his post as a king, did he not? Whenever the kings would go out, whenever they would have war at the time, the king was responsible to go out with the nation and be on the battlefield. And at this time, when, when David had his affair with Bathsheba, Israel was at war. And David should have been out on the battlefield. But he chose not to be. He chose to stay home. And as a result of that, David was on his, in his room and he saw Bathsheba across the roof. And he lusted after her. And he called for her. And she came to them. And they had their affair. How is that holiness? Even to the point that David had Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed. He arranged it so he killed him. How is that holy? But Nathan, the prophet at the time, called David out on him. Remember, he's called David and he said, that You have done the wrong thing. You have done that which God should not, would not have you have done. And David repented. David repented of his sin and he sought God's glory. In verse 3 of our reading it says, Be merciful to me, O Lord, 
And on down verse 5 it says, And abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. David sought God's mercy and he sought God's abundant grace. In Psalm 51, David wrote this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. He called upon God's mercy and what he would do for him. In verse 2, he says, You are my God. And then on verse 10, he follows that up by saying, You are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God, for there is no other God. God alone is holy, and David knew that. And so he, he prayed to God, and he went to God. He asked for God's forgiveness. He received God's forgiveness. And David had a personal relationship with God. In 1 Samuel we read, No one is holy like you, Lord, for there is none besides you. There is, nor is there any rock like our God. Our holiness comes from God doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from God. Our holiness and character of conduct are derived from Him. And will be tested, be tested by Him. In 1 Peter 1.7, do we have that? It says, so that, the, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found in the result and the praise and the glory and the honor of the revelation of Jesus Christ. God is going to test our faith. He's going to test our, our holiness, is he not? It's more precious than gold and silver, but he will test it. Be aware of that, church. Things may be going real good for you right now. Things may be going just chugging along really nice. You got your, your income's coming good. Your, your household's being running well. Your marriage is good. Everything's running good for you right now, but be aware. God does test us. He will test us. The scripture plainly says it. He, even though by fire we may be tested. But as a result of that test, it will be to bring praise and glory and honor to the Father. As we go through them times. So when you're our time of testing, maybe you're in a time of testing right now. Perhaps things aren't going well. You, don't have, you lost your job. You lost a loved one. You're, you have spouse, fights with your spouse every day. I don't know. But know this. It will, you, can, you will get through this, and God will honor you, and it will honor God through this turn. Remember the John Bradford I read about, I talked about at the beginning? He was tested with his very life. He was burned at the stake. It doesn't say anything about he riled against it, or he fought it, or he, he tried to get it. He put on that cloak. And he went to the stake, and he was willing to die. We are made holy by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to us by his giving us. Ezekiel 36, 27. And I will put my spirit, there's the key phrase, my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. God provides his statutes and his judgments to show us what is holy. I'm going to talk more about that later on, about God's judgments and his statutes. In Galatians 5, 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. See, these are the acts or the evidences of our holiness. 
they're basically, when I look at this, they're basically equivalent to the commands that he gave in the Old Testament. He gave the commands and the law to reveal his character and who he is. And now we've been given by Paul in Galatians the fruit of the Spirit. And these are the lists that you see that are the acts of the evidence. They followed the law. We follow the fruits of the Spirit. But the Holy Spirit helps us in holiness by equipping us also. He equips us to not throw away our confidence, not shrinking back to destruction, not falling away, not drifting, not hardening your heart, not living in contentious disobedience. But the Holy Spirit helps us to be holy as he is holy by holding fast, by enduring, by pressing on to maturity, by believing that he is by believing that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Because holiness is the essence of the character of God. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 states, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy, we talked about God, uh, David relying on God's mercy. Here we see it in the New Testament. His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, an incorruption, incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So you see the steps of the progress. First we get God's abundant mercy. Then we receive a living hope. Then we receive the inheritance that God has promised us. And then we go to heaven. So what did David, when David said, I am holy, what did his holiness look like? What were the characteristics of David's holiness as we look at this? Verse 2, it says, preserve my life. God preserved David's life several times. You remember the story of Goliath? How he went to the battlefield? And all the Israelites were afraid to death of Goliath, and they didn't want to face him because they thought he was such a big man. But Dave, not David, he said, let me at him. Let me go at this guy. And they tried to armor him up, and he said, ain't no way I'm wearing this armor. I'm going after because the God will deliver us. And he threw the stone and hit him in the head and down went Goliath. Or perhaps remember all the times that Paul, Saul sought David's life. There are several psalms in, that are talked about David when he was in time running from Saul and hiding in caves and hiding in, and fleeing and getting away, from, getting away from Saul. But God always preserved David. He always watched out for him. In verse 1 he said, for I am poor and needy. The characteristic here is that he recognized his need. He recognizes his need of God. He recognizes his need of the Spirit. Matthew 5, 3 said, Blessed is the poor in the Spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We know that David needed God. Do you know that we need God also? Every day we need God. In verse 2, he said, You are a servant who trusts you. Save your servant who trusts you. The characteristic is trusted in God. David trusted God. In 2 Samuel, he said, The Lord is my rock and my refuge and my deliverer, the God of my strength. In whom will I trust? My shield and my horn and my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. You save me from violence. God was David's rock. He was that sure foundation that he stood on. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school, how God was a firm foundation. In verse 4, he talks about, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. His characteristic is that he cried out to God. And we cry out to God when we come to a need. In verse 5, he says, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. 
His characteristic was he understood that God will forgive. And we have to also understand when we fall short, God will forgive. Psalm 32 is another prayer of David. This prayer is specifically, Psalm 32 and Psalm 51, basically are specifically about the sin with Bathsheba. And he said, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He called out to God with a contrite heart, and God would forgive him. Psalm 51, the other psalm about his sin, said, Do not cast me away from your presence, or do not take your Holy Spirit from me, and do not take, your, and do not take away your Holy Spirit. What would it be like to be cast away from God? That would be quite a prayer to think that you had fallen to the state that God might cast you away. What would that be like? What do you see that happening as? Matthew 5, I'm sorry, Matthew 13, 49 to 50 kind of sums it up for us. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire, where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Those folks who end up in that situation, who end up wailing and gnashing of teeth, will suffer for eternity for not accepting Jesus as their Savior, for not going to God and ask for forgiveness for their sins. They will suffer in eternity. I cannot imagine what it would be like. Gnashing and wailing. For me, the biggest thing, when we, if that were happen, would be the total separation from God. When we are here on this earth, we are in the presence of God. He made everything around us. We receive all the benefits that we see of God. Even if we're a Christian or a non-Christian, we see those benefits as we live. But when we die, and if we die without the grace of God in our heart, and without Jesus Christ in our heart, we shall be separated from God. And there will be nothing of God's presence. All those characteristics I listed of God's essence will be gone. There will be nothing, and we will be separated forever and ever and ever. Verse 6 goes on to say, give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. One of his characteristics is that we pray. We come to him because it's, God wants us to come to him, to seek him out. Verse 7, in that day in my trouble, I will call upon you. He calls upon God. And verse 9, shall come and worship before you, O Lord, we should worship God. David came and worshiped before God. And that's what we do when we come to church. We come and worship God. Verse 11 says, teach me your way, O Lord. He read and studied the scripture. And that's where we should come from in our holiness. Read and study the scripture. I will praise you, O my God, with all of my heart. We praise and lift up God in his holiness with all of our heart. Verse 12, and I will glorify your name forevermore. We glorify God. Only holy people will glorify God. If you run across someone and says that they think that they're holy and there is no glorification in God in their life, I would question it. Because only holy people glorify God. In verse 13, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Understood that we have been delivered from hell. In verse 11, unite my heart for your, to fear your name. Fear is an act of humbleness, if you will. We have a humble heart before God. Proverbs 16 says, 
Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be the humble spirit with lowly than divide the spoil with the proud. As we come as a humble heart and not a haughty spirit, we will esteem others better than ourselves. Remember Bradford when he went to the stake? He offered forgiveness. He sought forgiveness. And he gave humility by saying to his brother, today we will be with God in paradise. If you want to know what genuine holiness looks like, genuine holiness looks like Orville Dean, who played the guitar, played the banjo, sang with, played the harmonica and sang. He loved the Lord with all of his heart. I'll tell you what holiness looks like. It looks like Bob Wygant who stood at that very door back there almost every Sunday handing out bulletins and candy to kids and welcoming us here. Holiness looks like Mary Jane Scott, who taught Sunday school for many years, prayed. She was a prayer warrior. She was a humble heart. Holiness looks like Kate Wisniewski, who loved to sing to the Lord, loved to come to church, loved to worship here. Holiness looks like Ray Nelson, I brought my father-in-law, who loved the Lord. He was a quiet man about his faith, but he always loved to visit folks and to share and to build them up and to make them feel the presence of God. Holiness looks like Chuck and Marley Murn. That man served God. That man loved God. And you can see the holiness in his life. Marlene, his wife, who loved prayer, who loved to attend this church service. That is holiness. These are all folks that have gone before us, but I'd like to mention one more. <clears throat> holiness is like my dad. Dad suffered with alcohol for years, but when he came to the Lord, he was all in. He went to Bible study, Bible school to learn about Bible. He followed after God. He was an elder, founding elder of this very body. He served God in Sunday school. He served God with the children. Loved God with all of his heart. Still loves God. Does love God with all of his heart. That to me is a man of holiness. And that's a man I look up to and I'm, I'm proud to call him dad. That is a man of holiness. See, these people, they see more evil in their own hearts than they see in the world around them. And they see sin in their own life and try to do something about it. But holiness comes with a warning. It does not shut out sin. Remember Paul said he, felt he was the chief of all sinners. He said that in 1 Timothy. There will be times in our life when we will struggle with sin. I'm guaranteeing it. Until we take our last breath, there is something that we are going to wrestle with. There is a sin, an Achilles heel that each of us have. And each of us will wrestle with it. Sometimes it's going to take us into a dark tunnel. And we're going to go down that tunnel looking for the light at the other end. And we're going to go further, deeper, deeper and deeper into the tunnel until it's completely black. There's no light ahead. There's no light behind. I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but it's quite spooky. And it will grab you and take you down and tear you apart. But be sure, though, that we have holiness, that we have the spirit 
to be there to help us walk through this time. The Holy Spirit convicts us and draws us toward holiness. We seek the Holy Spirit to equip us in holiness when you, when you are tempted. When you are tempted to lust after that beautiful woman, seek holiness. When you are tempted to have that office affair, seek holiness. When you are tempted to spread that juicy piece of gossip, seek holiness. When you are tempted to envy that neighbor because he got a nice new car, or he got a nice new tractor, or they put a brand new pool in, or they got a new driveway, or you name it, seek God's holiness. When you are tempted to use the Lord's name in vain, and other coarse language, seek holiness. When you are tempted to hate against your Christian brother or anyone, someone who has perhaps wronged you and committed something against you, seek holiness. Indwelling holiness calls us to action. A holy person is not at peace with indwelling sin, as others may be. He hates it. He mourns over it. He longs to be free from it. Think of the addict who is trying to quit. It comes to the point, I've heard an addict tell me one time, it will come to the point with your addiction that you will hate it because of what it has caused you to do and what it is causing you to do and how it's causing you to act and causing you to do the things you do. It will come to a point when the Holy Spirit convicts us and draws us away from that addiction, that we will hate it. You show me a person who is not fighting sin, and I'll show you an unholy person. Holy people fight sin. So why be holy? First off, God commanded us to be holy, and it is instructed in Scripture. David would have known the Scriptures, in Leviticus 19.2, says, Speak to all the congregation of the children of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for the Lord your God, I am holy. Paul says in 12, Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And finally, Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 14 to 16, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust, as in, the, in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. And in your conduct, because it is written, be holy, for I am holy. The best way or the one way to, under, the way to understand is we have been called to be holy God had proclaimed it in his scripture. I've just read it to you. If you are a child of God, you stand before him righteous because of the perfect righteousness of Jesus. And it has been given over to you personal account. We personally have been saved. And because we have been saved, we have been perfect righteousness of Christ because Christ, what he's, his perfect righteousness. But there's a second aspect. You are only holy because you are bought by the blood of Jesus. And you are not your own. When we come to Christ, we, can, we give our lives to Christ, do we not? We offer ourselves up to him as a sacrifice. 
because he is the sacrifice that gave himself for us. As a holy person, we will strive to be like Jesus Christ. Philippians says to, to have the mind of Christ. Romans says to be conformed to his image. Ephesians says that you put on the new man in true righteousness and holiness. Christ not only offered eternal life, but he also offers to make us holy. That he would purify unto himself a people that is his own people. True holiness allows itself to be shown by the fruits of our life. And there will be evidence of that saving faith in Christ if we are holy. And what, are, what is that? Matthew 7, 16 to 20. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or from fig thistles? Even so, every good, fruit bears good, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear, a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Let me tell you, I said it. A good tree can't bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Do we really think that we can see God without being holy? John 3.16 said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth him should not perish but have everlasting life. As you see this scripture, it seems to me in this day and age that they, this scripture has been made so trivialized that it really doesn't have a lot of meaning to folks. You see people at football stadiums, John 3.16, and people crying out, all I got to do is say Jesus and I'm saved and they're going to go to heaven. True but the Bible also tells us in Hebrews 12, 14, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which you will not see the Lord. So how can it be? We got one verse here that says, all I got to do is say I'm born again or I believe in Jesus. But you got another verse that says, without holiness, we won't see God. How do we reconcile these two? I'm telling you, it's both. See, very few people have read the small print when it comes to John 3.16. Let's look at John 3.19 John 3, to 21. It says, And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and that men love darkness rather than light, because the deeds, their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, and that they have been done in God. See, being holy glorifies God. We come to the light, and our deeds are clearly seen. See, there's a deed part here. It's just not saying, God so loved the world. It's saying, God, I love you, and I will do. I will be your servant. It is walking and trusting in Jesus Christ. Being unholy is to glorify ourself, oneself. We walk in darkness and our deeds are evil. They make themselves the center of attention. It reminds me of social media today. How much of social media is about the person? I would say 90% of it. It's about me and what I can do and look at me and look at me and look at me. And it's almost, you see some of the stuff and it's almost sickening. You watch the news today and all they're reporting is social media. It's not the news. But it's all about me, and that's what this society is coming to. 
If you have accepted Christ as the Son of God, then you will strive to live a holy life. And the proof is that we love Jesus Christ. If, we lo- if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14. Paul talked about, in Romans, he talks extensively about that the law was given to reveal sin. The law is given so we know what sin looks like. We know what sin is. But God gave his, but I would also contend that the laws were given by God, his statutes, his commands, to demonstrate what holiness would look like. Yes, it is the law, and the law does reveal sin. But when you read through the commandments, read through the Ten Commandments, each one of them is about a holy act and how we are to act holy. They are commands of God, and they reveal who God is by his commands. They're the standards that God put in place. In the Old Testament, they were what revealed God's holiness. So I come with a warning. Verse 14. O God, the proud have risen against me. A mob of violent men have sought my life, and you have not set and have not set you before me. They were proud, they're violent, and they have not accepted Christ. A part of this scripture as I was studying at the mob of violent men who sought my life, what does that make you think of? It makes me think of Jesus Christ and the mob that sought his life at the crucifixion and they took him down and they crucified him. The angry mob that was there, they sought Christ's life and proud and violent men have not accepted Christ. The religious people of the time, at that time did not accept Christ for who he really was. And they became angry. And they became violent. And they would not accept it. And finally they crucified him. They would not bow the knee. They would not acknowledge God. They would not, sorry, they would not acknowledge Jesus Christ. They would not have knowledge of Jesus in their heart. And if you are here today and you do not have that knowledge, I beg of you to, to consider your fate. Consider where your destiny would be. Separation from God, what I talked about before, eternal separation. Consider that for your soul. Because holiness without which no one will see God. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 to 8, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but rejects God. If you walk out of here today and you reject this message, you're not, I don't take it personally, you've not rejected me. You've rejected God. And it'll be to your account for your rejection. Do not say, says the Puritan William Grinnell, that you have the royal blood in your veins and are born of God unless you can prove the pedigree, your pedigree of daring to be holy. Without holiness on earth, you will never be prepared for heaven. Heaven is holy. God is holy. The angels are holy. How will you ever be at home and happy in heaven if you die unholy? To whom would you associate with? Because everything and all in heaven is holy. Revelation 21 says, There shall no, in no wise enter into heaven anything unclean. So I have a short application. I'm almost done. 
the final aspect that you are called to be a living, to be holy living. This means that you, between your already of your conversion and the not yet of your going home, obedience matters. Every thought, every desire, every word, every choice, and every action must be done in spirit of humble surrender to the commands of God. If you consider this call impossible, an impossibility, remember that God never calls you to a task that he will not enable you to do. God calls you to be holy. And he sends his Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we would have the wisdom and the strength and the need to surrender. And to this we call that we can be holy. Dare to be holy. Dare to be holy like David, even though he had an illicit affair, had a heart after God. Dare to be holy like Abraham, who had his wife say that she was his sister because he was afraid, who would offer his son on the offer of sacrifice because he was so sure that God would raise that boy up again. Dare to be holy like Job, who, called, who God allowed Satan to test, if you will, took everything from him. He took everything but his life. But Job, who said, even though that he, Job, who said, even though his life might be taken, he would trust in God. Dare to be holy like Moses, who would smite the rock of the water out of anger, but who would go on to lead Israel to the promised land. Go on to be holy like Elijah, who ran in fear from Jezebel. After he had just put to death all of Ahab's prophets and who was taken up to heaven without dying. Dare to be holy like Peter who denied Christ three times but who would eventually give up his life in the name of Christ. Dare to be like Paul who held the very coats of those who were stoning Stephen and who would go on to write most of the New Testament letters. Dare to be holy like Orville Dean. Dare to be holy like Chuck Mern. Dare to be holy like Kate Wisniewski. Dare to be holy like Ray Nelson. I know that I may be preaching to the choir here. And I pray that I am. But it's good for us to be reminded of God's requirements to be holy. Because someday we will stand before a holy God in, a, in his holy heaven with the holy angels worshiping a holy Savior. Lord, we thank you, Father, for this time. I pray, Father, that your spirit works. Help us to grasp holiness and to live our lives in holiness when those affairs happen to us that would draw us down. We love you, Father. We thank you for your spirit who strengthens us, who gives us that strength to be holy. We thank you for the sanctification process which you put us through in order to be holy. Help us to be holy, to gain holiness, that when we enter your kingdom, Father, we will be holy before you all forever and ever. We will be completely holy, completely sanctified, completely glorified. Draw us unto that, Father, I pray. I give you thanks, Father, in Christ's name. Amen.